The text for our sermon this morning is from the gospel reading and Jesus' words at the end when he says, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Today, as you see and have heard, it is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent is a word that means to come or coming. And the church, in celebrating Advent, remembers the threefold coming of Christ, that he came when he was born in Bethlehem, he comes to us now in his word and sacrament, and he will come again. So Advent is traditionally a time of, of preparation, a time of repentance, and what does it mean to stay awake, to be prepared, if you will? So with that in mind, today we consider the question, what time you got? What time is it? There are some questions you can't ask. You can't ask a woman her age. You can't ask a man his income level. You can't ask a child to understand what adults know by experience. On the other side of the equation, there are questions that you can ask in almost any circumstance, like, hey, can I buy you a beer? When did you start working out? Or even the most innocent, hey, what time you got? Advent is about asking that question. What time is it? Jesus invites us to consider that question today, and he answers it in a most comforting way. In a sense, it doesn't matter what time it is for the Christian. We are Christians. We are baptized. We are forgiven. We have eternal life. We are safely in our shepherd's fold. We have eternal life. Time, the clock, is not your Lord. It can't boss you around like it does the rest of the world. The rest of the world runs mad because they know their clock is ticking. This is especially noticeable as Christmas is around the corner. The world is busy rushing around. They must buy, they must spend, they must purchase, they must bow down to their Lord and Savior, Macy's department store. They must offer their sacrifice of dollars and cents so they can find happiness. But last year's gifts, where are they? They're gone. Their clock continues to tick their God continues to demand. But you, dear Christian, are outside of time. You are not afraid of the question, what time you got? We ask this question, what time is it? Because we know that Christ will come again at his appointed time. Even today in our gospel reading, Jesus says, well, consider the time. Jesus has an appointed time when he will advent one final time where he will come to us and we do well to prepare for that. We prepare because our sinful flesh is constantly tempting us. This is the point of our reading today for the first Sunday in Advent. 
we aren't so concerned with the clock on the wall, but that we would learn to see time as Jesus sees time. He doesn't want his disciples that he's speaking to today, nor us, to know the time of his return. That's not what he's concerned with. He's concerned with, he's not concerned with us figuring out God's plan, but are we prepared for him? In other words, are we living by faith? That we're trusting God, that no matter what the time, we know we're ready. And when you live by faith, you know that every minute, every second, yes, every hour has been redeemed by Christ. So that no matter what time it is, you know, I belong to Christ, not the clock. So our context for our reading today, when Jesus teaches this in Mark, is when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And this is pointed out a number of verses earlier, and it's important for our context. Because the Mount of Olives in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 14, the prophet says that Yahweh's feet will stand on that day on the Mount of Olives. That is, outside of Jerusalem. In that day, the prophet says, will Yahweh's feet stand Well, what day is the prophet speaking of? Well, the day is when the Lord will go out and fight and win his victory. Well, as Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, he is saying the time is now. Jesus is saying that today is the day. He's standing on the Mount of Olives and he's teaching his disciples. And his disciples, Jesus talks about end time things. And the disciples ask, well, Jesus, what time you got? What time will all this happen? Jesus says, well, this generation will not pass. So the question is, what what is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is speaking proleptically. Jesus is speaking about the now and the not yet. He's speaking about how his death and resurrection and ascension are going to be a little judgment day. But yet we also are waiting for the final judgment day. Jesus says a number of things, though, will take place that you will know today is the day that the time has come. Now, not all Christians agree that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here, but if you pay attention in the Gospel of Mark and look at it as one big picture, you can see that Jesus is really giving some clues. Jesus said, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. Verse 25, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus says this generation will not pass when you will see these things. So what does he mean in the Gospel of Mark with this? Well, we can see these warnings as being fulfilled already in the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That this is the time, Jesus is telling his disciples. Now, you remember, the sun will be darkened. Well, that, of course, you remember, happened when Jesus was crucified. 
When he died on the cross, the sun went dark. Then the next question, when Jesus says the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, when did that take place at the crucifixion? Well, Josephus, a Jewish historian that we Christians rely on for quite a bit of history, he's a reliable historical um, who gives an account of the history. And he went into great detail in his book, Jewish War, describing the temple curtain. He said the temple curtain was embroidered with heavenly bodies, intricate mysteries of the heavens and the stars, he said. As you remember what happened when Jesus died to the curtain in the temple. It was torn in two. The heavens were shaken in the temple. Then Jesus continues, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. When did this happen? That doesn't look like power and glory. When will Jesus be seen as the Son of Man? Well, the Son of Man is a term in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus uses as, self, uh, as a self-reference for having power and glory and vic- victory. But we have to consider in our minds, what does Jesus mean with power? How does God see power? It's not like the world. In Mark 8, Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and chief priests, be killed and rise three days again. Chapter 9, Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Son of Man is a term connected with a time when Jesus is showing his glory. And Jesus says, that's when I'm arrested. That's when I'm crucified. That's when I come in power. What about the clouds and great power and glory? Well, then also in Mark 10, Jesus uses this idea when the two disciples ask him, Lord, when you come in glory, make one of us to sit at your right and the other at your left. Jesus says, you cannot drink the cup that I'm about to drink when I come in glory. He is speaking about his cross. The cross of Jesus is one time when he comes in power and glory according to the gospel of St. Mark. Jesus is teaching his disciples and us to see power and glory how he sees it. Finally, Jesus concludes and says, God will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to heaven. Well, in Acts 2, when Peter is preaching on Pentecost, he is preaching on Joel chapter 3. And the prophet in Joel chapter 3 says, God will gather all the nations and bring them in. And Peter, preaching on Pentecost, he says, this is being fulfilled now. When Jesus sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he's collecting all the elect from the four ends of the earth. Meaning the word of God as it is being proclaimed and preached. This is the fulfillment. This is God going and gathering his elect. Further, St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, these things were written for our instruction. And here's the important part. 
upon whom the end of the ages has already come. St. Paul sees also this little sermon by Jesus as being fulfilled already, and we are in the end of the ages. So in our gospel reading, Jesus says the time of his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection, the end has come. That Jesus has secured our time. Jesus' death was a little judgment day because he was judged for your sins and the sins of the world. He was the one put on trial. He was the one judged. He took the blame and was punished for your thinking that time is so important. He was also crucified for when you think you're just a victim of passing time. That you're just waiting for the clock to tick by. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you for when you are not using the time you have for good, but instead for sin. Jesus was cursed for your impatience. The creator of time and space placed himself in time so that his clock could run out. That his life would end so that you, dear Christian, would never hear, time's up. Because three days later, he triumphed. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And he didn't come out of the grave asking, well, like you do from a long nap, what time is it? No, he came out of the grave saying, All things, even time, belongs to me. It's no longer time that reigns over all things. But before time was, Jesus says, I am. So we Christians, now baptized into Christ's life, death, and resurrection, you also are not ruled by time. What time you got? This is no longer a question, but a confession. What time you have. What time you have to spread the gospel. To share the love of Jesus in a world gone mad. What time you got. To not fear but be bold. Because you have eternity. Jesus is telling his disciples and us today. Today you have eternity. But you're not done running your race. In our reading, Jesus is speaking proleptically, which means now, but not yet. The effect and the good of his victory and resurrection and ascension into heaven has secured us now, but we're not in heaven yet. Which means Jesus is speaking about a future event. He's speaking about his advent when he comes again And he speaks of it as already having been accomplished because the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension are his victory. Today, we can live as if we are already in eternity because Jesus has defeated all of our enemies. But yet we still fight. We're still in the battle because we still have our sinful nature to wrestle with. We still wrestle with spiritual powers, we are told. And yet, yes, your own fallen spiritual power that wants to say, eh, I've got plenty of time. 
Your sinful flesh, which says, eh, I'll get to Sunday school one of these days. I'll read my Bible tomorrow. I'll go and volunteer and help the needy at the beginning of the new year. The sinner in us always says, tomorrow. Because the sinner in us is always chasing. But for Christians, we live in the today. Because it's always today for the Christian. We are to live lives of reverence and holiness today. And that, dear Christian, takes work because of your flesh. It takes practice. Putting into practice the disciplines that we learn from tradition and from the scriptures. Coming to Holy Communion, the altar of our Lord with the right heart. It's not something our sinful flesh does naturally. You must prepare. Reverence for holy things takes time. Otherwise, it becomes mindless repetition. I'm just doing it because that's what I always do. Advent is a time to say, I'm going to pause. I'm going to prepare myself for worship. I'm going to prepare myself for Holy Communion. I'm going to prepare myself for the holy vocations that God has called me to. This is why we prepare ourselves before coming to church. Or even Jesus says, before you pray, find a quiet place. Go into a dark closet, close the door. Jesus says, when you fast, fasting is a way to prepare for Jesus' coming to you. Because during Advent, when your stomach says, I'm hungry, you say, no food until I pray. And so historically, Christians have seen Advent as a reminder to do the things that help us prepare for when Jesus comes again. This is why our church service is reverent. This is why we're respectful in God's house. Because it is here that Jesus comes to us. It is now, yet not yet. Because this is also practice for when we see him fully. Whether that be when you close your eyes for the last time in death or when Jesus returns. You ask, what time is it? Some of you may be looking at your watch right now asking that very question. And while the rest of the world is running around toward Christmas because they can't wait to spend their money, they can't wait to maybe eventually find meaning in their life, our time is today. Because it's always today. The unbelieving world's time is always tomorrow. Their running is never ended. Their desires are never fulfilled. They have to run to Christmas, but dear Christian, you don't. You have Advent. You have time to remember what it means to prepare for his last Advent when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And yet you do this in the full confidence that you belong to him. We celebrate that Christ has come and has even redeemed time for us. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.